episode of Comic Talk, the podcast. My name is Jesse Rivera, and today is Monday, December the 7th, and our guest today is someone that you hear on every episode of Comic Talk uh, as a member of the band Mental Buru. Our guest today is Mr. Matt Munoz, and I have been looking forward to this conversation for a very long time. I knew Matt would eventually be a guest on the podcast. Wasn't sure what we'd be talking Well, I knew we have so much to talk about, but I really wanted Matt's reason for coming on the podcast to be something to promote, you know, some work that he was doing with the band Mental Buru. And that is exactly what we ended up doing today. He came on the podcast to talk about Mental Buru's brand new uh, East Bakersfield Christmas. Uh, It is a Christmas EP made possible through a generous grant from the Hub of Bakersfield's Cash for the Arts program. East Bakersfield Christmas will be available for free download beginning November 25th. So that was about a week or two ago. You could download it for free at uh, the hub of Bakersfield.org. It's also streaming on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, YouTube, all that stuff. Google Mental Buru. Look for East Side Christmas. It is a bunch of classic Christmas songs redone in the Mental Buru style, Bakersfield sound style that Mental Buru has uh, been curating for the last almost 30 years. We'll get into all of that during the podcast. I'm good. I'm exhausted a little bit. No, I'm not exhausted. I'm just like, I'm back home in Bakersfield, staying safe, socially distancing, but also Bakersfield is out in the country, so we can do a lot of social distancing out in the country that we can't necessarily do in the city. So I've been fortunate enough to uh, see a few friends, some new friends, some old friends, but definitely friends I love and care about and definitely a lot of family. So I'm at my mom's house. Everyone's safe. We're looking out for one another. I see a light at the end of the tunnel. I hope you do too. So keep wearing your mask keep social distancing, and just keep doing that voodoo that you do so well. Now, enough about me, enough about my friends, enough about the family. Let's talk about Mental Buru, Matt Munoz, Cesario Garaza, Joe Vasquez, all the guys. Everyone is mentioned in this episode, the podcast, 30 years in the making. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Matt Munoz as much as I did. Here we go. I'll let the guy take it away. Matt Munoz, episode 82 of Comic Talk, the podcast. Go download East Bakersfield Christmas Mental Buru. Peace. I'll talk to you soon. Take care of each other. Matt Munoz, how the hell are you? The podcast 30 years in the making. I know, I know, man. I rem- I'm doing great, man. It's great to see you, Jess. I, I, was, trying, my I was trying to remember um, if... Did you do the Hollywood Christmas Parade with the Bakersfield College marching band because oh yeah because that would have been the first time that i interacted with you because i did it my senior year so you were already at bakersfield college so i'm sure you did it but so i was a senior at arvin high and i and i marched in it with a handful of arvin high guys yeah and so that would have been the first time that i like interacted with you uh but then it wasn't until uh spring of 89 that i started at bakersfield college and started uh so you weren't in the i you were definitely in the jazz and all the other stuff Mm -hmm. but i don't remember you in the marching band at that point that was like yeah i was actually i I was in the marching band when i graduated after i graduated mcfarland high school i was in the marching band 
And it was just kind of like a reconnection with like all the old Golden Empire Sons youth band alumni. Mm. So we all kind of graduated, you know, I graduated from McFarland. Uh, all the students from Bakersfield graduated from their high schools and then they all joined the, uh, the band. So I was in the band for a while and yeah, and it just kind of rolled on from there. But to, to go back, to kind of touch back on the, the uh, Christmas grade, I remember because the Bakersfield College Band was so small that we basically made it a super band because it was Bakersfield College and it was Arvin High School. It was like a bunch of different groups. So we went from being like a 50 piece band to like a 250 piece marching band. Yeah. <laughs> It was awesome, and it, and it was like seven miles. <laughs> I just remember that it it went on yeah. and on. Yeah. Do on. Do you remember Do you remember who the uh, the Grand Marshal was? Was it Bob Eubanks or was it? You no. sound pixelated. You sound pixelated. Oh, you're coming back. Okay. No, who was it? I can't remember. <laughs> I do remember. I do remember though. But I do remember that we were behind. We were behind the guy who played Bull on Night Court. I remember that. Was it yeah. Martin Mull? Not Martin Mull. Uh, it was that guy. Robert Mull. Robert Mull. Robert Mull. It was one of the Mulls. Yeah, Robert Mull. Yeah, some more useless trivia that we have uh, endless hours of. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Big Soul Christmas, I mean, the Hollywood Christmas Parade was such a kind of a letdown because, you know, when you're used to watching it on TV, it looks all glamorous and, and all that stuff and boom, boom, boom. But when you get there, it's kind of dark and drab. And then the Hollywood Christmas Parade, it's, it's only like one half a block. It's right before you, right in front of the announcers. Yeah. And the judges that you get that full like, ooh, I'm on the Hollywood Christmas Parade because you got the lights. Uh-huh. And they interview the celebrities. But other than that, it's just, you know, the uh, – yeah, I see the puppy over there. Oh, yeah, Pee-Pee. Yeah, she's, she's right there. Yeah. <laughs> I got a plaque. No, your 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 setup is great. It, it looks very cozy. Are you outside? No, we have this uh, kind of like a uh, a sunroom oh. of this house because this is an old this is an old house, and we have a little sunroom which is, it doubles as Zoom meetings for my wife and I and a yoga room. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Yeah, homeowner, so, homeowner stuff. I know. I love it. Yeah, uh, I haven't paid my gardener yet this month. <laughs> I, 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 realized, hey, man. I realized that just a little while ago as I was, I was, I was making my car payment. Uh, man, I'm just so far behind on stuff this week. I, I got to my mom's house uh, the, the uh, Thanksgiving Eve, and mm-hmm. uh, their internet wasn't working. So we've been using, like, MiFi's, and we finally got the internet back up today. It's still kind of shaky. Um, I'm hoping it, it doesn't mess up on me, but... I've been so far behind on everything. Uh, I didn't post a podcast last week. Uh, The first time since July, I haven't posted a podcast. Um, Man, but it's just great to see you. It's great to be back in Bakersfield. And, uh, but how much of a, you you did get to do a night before Thanksgiving bash, right? Yeah, yeah. Very tiny. Yeah, we did. It was just definitely the scale down. We didn't want to, we didn't want to do a lot of promotion for it uh with you know reluctantly because when the orders from the from the governor were coming down as far as like regulations and shutdowns and everything like that i had to have a meeting with a business owner of, of elements venue manual gutierrez who's very is a big stickler about safety and following the guidelines so he consulted with uh, checked in with the health department the abc and all that stuff and made sure he's you know 
Now, if I do this, I do this, if I do this and this and this and this, will I be okay? And they're like, yes. Okay, but then uh, Donnie Youngblood, the current county sheriff, Donnie Youngblood, kind of like put every put business owners at ease a little bit. Like, listen, if you're gonna do something, we're not gonna we're not gonna hassle you about this because we don't have the manpower to keep uh, checking on everybody. But we just ask that everybody use their own discretion to please be safe. So that's kind of what we did. We what would normally be about a 250 person gathering was uh, shrunk down to about a 60 person gathering. And nice. we stayed within, we stayed within the law, within the guidelines, and we wrapped, you know, normally we would wrap at like, you know, 2.30 in the morning or something like that. And people are puking outside because, you know, they're ready to go face their family home over the next day. This was over at 10.30. Wow. That was as late wow. as it went. We were already at 10 o'clock. Okay, here we got the, the curfew. People are starting to, no, just keep playing, you know, F the curfew, F the curfew. We're like, no, we're not going to do that. So we looked over at Manuel, and he's like, gave me the thumbs up. Okay, all right, good night. We'll do one more song. I did Volver, 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 Volver by Vicente Fernandez, and we bid everybody adieu, and that was it. That's that's crazy. Um, I, I, I don't even know where to start with this podcast because, like, our friendship goes back so far, but I really want to focus on uh, – Mental Buru and uh, your band getting ready to go into its 31st year of existence. And um, I just remember. No, we actually, we're going to our 29th. Oh, your 29th. 29th year. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, my, my got, we got it. We got it all down. We, accuracy. We did all the research and made sure that we had little dates. Cause then for a while I was saying, I must've said like 28, like five years in a row. <laughs> And then Cesario was the one who's like, hold on a second, Matt. Let's do the one. You and Joe joined with, got together with Triple R Sounds, which is the kind of the, the pre-mento band that we jammed with. And then it evolved. And by the time we got into uh, early spring of 92, that's when Cesario, Jason, and everybody joined the band. And then we became Mento Buru. So... Okay. We're heading into 29. So here, here's, here's what I remember of it. Here's, here's my memory of it. Um, being in jazz band rehearsal at Bakersfield College, and then you and Joe telling me, yeah. come on, we're going to go to Matt's apartment on Q Street. Yeah, was it on Q? I think, Matt, we're going to go to Matt's apartment, and we're going we're gonna to play some more. Yeah, and, and 3701 I, Q Street, the, the old yeah. And I remember going with you guys probably three three rehearsals in a row, like leaving Bakersfield College Jazz Band rehearsal and then going with you guys and then like realizing, oh, wait, these guys are serious about doing a band. Um, I'm going to stop going because I'm not that serious about – I was partying and doing all the debauchery that I did throughout the 90s. And uh, I was like, all right, I got to bid you guys to do uh, – I'm not that serious about this band. And then uh, then you guys telling me later on in that summer, I think, was the El Toro Street uh, house party with Lily Cigar, right? I, I think Lily Cigar was the opening act. And then there was a couple of bands, right? You know what? I can't even remember. It was at El Toro, and it was at Ros Larry, Ros Larry Roberts' house. And... Yeah, I remember the flyer that they made was like like an 11 by 17 flyer, handwritten from corner to corner, and it was like calling all ragamuffins. I actually found it. It's actually in the garage. I should, if I would have had it, I would have 
I'll have to send you a picture of it because I, I, ha I still have the original one, one page. It was 11 by 17. And that's what he would pass around to all the people that he trusted come over, over to his house. So I'll have to go back and look because, yeah, that, that is definitely a haze. Yeah. And I just remember that, that that party, it was super hot. Everyone was there. And it was really the beginning of, a, of an era, right? Yeah. And it was a Sunday. It was a Sunday party in uh, Backyard Boogie in Bakersfield, you know, back in 92. And yeah, that was, that kicked off everything. The response was so overwhelming. We're like, we got to keep on doing this now. You know, we're young. We're just, you know, we're in college. We're playing in the marching band and, you know, we're just kind of doing our thing. Yeah. And you know, what do we got to lose? Let's just, just keep this band going and see what happens. Did you think at the time that Mento Brew would last that long? Or did you think to yourself, I want to do a ska band, then maybe I want to do an R&B band, then maybe I want to just kind of go where, I just want to go with the flow. Did you, did you think it would it would have the pega that it, that it had for uh, 29 years? Well, I think after, after the first couple of years and after kind of like people would kind of come and go in the band and, and you know, and, you know, unfortunately, Bob Dunn, who was one of the original, the original vocalists for the band, and I was just playing sax. It was just me and Joe in the horn section. We were the we were the mental guru horn section. Um, you know, it was just you know when Bob was stopped because Bob had moved away to Bob had moved to Sacramento with his wife because he had come down with cancer. Mm -hmm. So he was real sick, but he was saying, "Hey, well, I'll try to make it over for for shows here and there." And we actually did a show in Sacramento. Um, I think it was we did a show at the Cattle Club. Okay. You know, I don't even know if that place is still there, but it but it was a stopover for a lot of alternative bands during the nineties. I have no yeah, doubt. No, I, I see that uh I'm in a I'm in one of those groups that posts uh classic live shows and I will see that name pop up all the time of like all yeah. these old school bands playing there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did a couple shows over there. So when you know Bob Bob just couldn't, you know, Bob got too sick to perform anymore. Uh we just we just moved on with the group and he kind of had a band meeting because we were still going to see all the Bakersfield bands play and we were the only ones that weren't after we had had like a really strong two months, three months, you know, doing the reggae fest and all that stuff in 92. So we were like, okay, we're onto something. Let's keep it going. Let's start building up this repertoire. We started out as a roots reggae band. We started incorporating the ska and, you know, Joe's transcription talent started really coming out. So it was just, it was he and I were just constantly brainstorming on what we want to do. So when Bob couldn't uh, perform anymore, they were like, well, why don't you just start singing? And that's kind of what happened. And then it just, you know, the rest is history. We just got to gotta keep rolling. And once you're in that band leader position, it really is all on you, like, to make the final decision. Okay, guys, are we going to keep this going? What are we going to do? And so I had a lot of things that I had to kind of long talk with myself. Well, I'm going to dedicate myself to this where I know once we get past two years and you start getting into three, four years, you know, it, then it's going to possibly become like a, a good business venture for us as well. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just playing backyard parties and, you know, doing all that stuff. We started having our, I, I set on Los Angeles. So within two years, we had our first show in, in Los Angeles. And then, then, it really, then things really started to take off. We saw more potential in the middle of that third wave ska revival and here we were from bakersfield wasn't that a great uh era of ska like no like the the era of like no doubt's first album and like all of these other bands and oh my god dude i okay look i've been to and you have been to 
hundreds and hundreds of concerts. And we've seen amazing bands and had yeah. amazing experiences. But I will put in my top five concerts, uh, Mental Buru, Let's Go Bowling at Bam Bam's uh, one hot night. Do you remember that? Yeah. I'm sure you do. It was fucking, everyone was there. Like, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Everyone was there. Uh, Jake Chavez was there. Uh, I was there. Uh, Aaron yeah. Flores was there. Uh, uh, Craig Stevens was there. Everyone was there, and it was such a what, – what do you remember about that night? Oh, man, I remember a lot of things. I, I remember the excitement because when we booked the show with John Bentley, who owned Bam Bams, by then it, it had become Mars, Club Mars. Okay. Um, so, you know, Let's Go Bowling at the time was one of the bigger underground ska bands that had kind of like started to get kind of some national notoriety, and they were from Fresno. So – you know, I was big fans of theirs. I remember going to the shows in Reseda, Country Club Reseda, and the first time I saw them, I mean, they just blew me away because I love Fishbone. I love the other kind of independent bands that were around in the area. But when Let's Go Bowling came on, I was like, man, they're kind of, they're a combination of everything I love, especially with the kind of a two-tone specials madness vibe, you know, undercurrent through the band. And they were playing all original music. So fast forward, Metro Brutes get, gets formed. We really, that was kind of like a, one of our big moments to bring a big name Scott band to town. It was Let's Go Bowling. We did it over there. And, you know, it was just a big deal for us because we were fans of the band. And here we were, then, then we became peers. Yeah. You know, we became peers. And, and that, was, and that was before we were on Moon Ska. So it was just like, we were there and we had them in the house and it was crazy. <laughs> it was nuts. Man. From a fan's perspective, like, they didn't blow you guys off the stage. Like you guys matched their energy that night. It wasn't like, cause like you go to some shows and you're like, Oh, I forgot who opened up or, you know, then the, then the headliner came out, but it was like, like mental brought it here. And then let's go bowling. was just like, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. They were miles and miles ahead of you guys. I think like for you guys, it was also like a proving ground and it was like, okay, we can go toe to toe with these, with these big name acts. Like, we're just as talented. Yeah, and, and yeah we're de definitely being from Bakersfield. We've always been kind of like the underdog of the scene, of the kind of the national scene, even the California scene, because we're kind of in this isolated area. As is Let's Go Bowling over there, you know, up north in Fresno. You know, so, you know, we, we, we think about the, the miles that we had to drive to L.A. to go to shows. Imagine being in Fresno <laughs> and, you know, you're either going to go all the way to Sacramento or, or San Francisco as Bay or you're going to drive all the way to Los Angeles, you know, for 45 minutes. But, you know, we wanted, we were, we were inspired and influenced by such a fertile California ska scene that by the time when we, we formed Mento, we're like, we're going to bring that to Bakersfield because we know the kids are going to dig it. And, uh, you know, once you get, once you got the, the fan base of the kids, the underage, all age crowd, I mean, sky's the limit. All you got to do is just continue to play, record, and have good shows because it was the golden era of the Bakersfield music scene, the nineties, definitely. Yeah. It, it was, it was a really good time. Then it seems like your guys's next big thing was like when you like the success that you guys were having um, at slow brewery and uh, mm -hmm. those, uh, those live recordings that are still yeah. floating around uh, on DAT from the, from the slow brewery days. How about that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, slow brew was amazing. I mean, that was, that was the first, one of the, the first shows that we did out there, that was, that was one of the early trips of Mento Brew in the, uh, 90, 93, uh, tail end of 93 and 94. 
and like we actually got paid. So for an independent band like us, we played the uh, farmer's market and we're about to go on and like, dude, look outside. There's like a line going down the street. And that was another another big score for us, big milestone for us to play in San Luis Obispo where, you know, everybody was stopping over. Fishbone, Trulio Disgracious, No Effects, No Doubt, Skank and Pickle, you know, everybody was playing. So we got to join that jump, jump on that. And, and, and it was, it was amazing. And so we would go over there at least once a month for yeah. like the next three years. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those are some great times for you guys, man. And, and I remember like, just like kind of still being in my, in my whirlwind lost of the, of the nineties haze that I was in and just like, really like, like, like living vicariously through you guys. Like, man, look at these guys. They're fucking doing it. And I, that's, that's back when I was still going to like every local show you guys are doing. Like I, I had to go and just like the energy. Um, I'll never forget. Like we're going to fast forward because the, the nineties was just you guys endlessly touring, endlessly playing, uh, yeah. The band is constantly evolving. I kind of fell out of the scene. I jumped back into the scene like in 2003, 2004, when I started my music blog, we kind of reconnected. Yeah. Um, I was your favorite blogger's favorite blogger is what I used to like to say about myself. And um, we put together the, uh, the, we put together a tsunami benefit concert at the dome. And, mm -hmm. And uh, we had we had so many bands. We we packed out the dome, and I remember uh, I was up on stage uh, to introduce you guys, and I had I had seen you guys play hundreds of times by this point. I had felt your guys' energy from the crowd a hundred times at this point. I myself had not been on a stage performing at this point in like five or six years. And I introduced you guys and Matt, when you guys started playing, I really felt like your guys' energy was about to blow me off the stage if I didn't get off the stage quick enough. That was just like, your guys' sound is so powerful. I, I always think of um, the, that line in the Blues Brothers where the guy says, we had a sound powerful enough to turn goat piss into gasoline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh like, man. Uh, yeah. Of course, man. Because we were young. You know, we were at that. We were at that that age where the band, the band was such a well-oiled machine that mm -hmm. pretty much all we had to do was just keep on playing. You know, we had all the kind of. You know, we Mento Brew has been blessed to have some of the okay. best musicians in the area. You know, at that time when you're talking about, we had. Uh, Jared Pope on drums. We had Dennis Ham on keys. We had me and Joe. We had Scott. Um, yeah, and and we were just we were just nonstop. Caleb Caleb Moore was new in the band, and we had just we had, we were kind of going past through that moon ska into just continue to play. And the the as the scene was evolving, we had to evolve with the scene. So by that time, we had incorporated many more different styles. We were no longer just a ska band. But yeah. We were, a Latin ska band. We were a Latin group. We could play salsa. We could play everything, but we could still go back to that third wave ska punk style because yeah. that was in blood. That was part of the identity of the band. That's so we never wanted to abandon that. Yeah, that's definitely the DNA of the band, right? That ska punk. That like yeah. I I I never in the early days of Mental Burrow, I never got tired of uh of you guys opening with Christine Keeler. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And uh, yeah. I, 
I, I every once in a while, I will search for different versions of Christine Keeler, and they, they don't match the energy. They, they do not. <laughs> like, like, that was really, like, the DNA of Mental Buru. Yeah. And it seems like you guys really became, like, uh, like at that point, it's like, like how you said, uh, the underage crowd had grown up with you guys by that point. So the underage yeah. crowd was now able to attend better shows and to, and to buy merch from you guys and to really support you guys. Mm -hmm. And I really felt like you guys arrived uh, the first time that you guys um, got to perform at the Crystal Palace. Uh, and yeah. that, that was, uh, that was I want to say that that was a, uh, a, uh, a Mardi Gras kickoff celebration was that the first time you guys do you remember the first time you guys did crystal palace was it a mardi gras celebration no that, well, that came later the first time we played we actually performed right after buck owens because buck owens was doing his friday saturdays so he oh, would play okay seven, yeah he would do seven and nine and then as soon as he was done he would just like okay good night and then he would walk off stage get in his car and take off so then that opened up like 9 p.m. to whenever for the Crystal Palace. And this, this is when the Crystal Palace was, you know, flourishing. Buck Owens was, was performing all the time. And you could hear the simulcast on KUZZ on the AM FM radio station. Wow. Well, Rick Pete, who started the uh, Village Fest, he used to do this thing called P-Swing and Ride. So it was like this motorcycle benefit thing. And like the kickoff party was that. So it was, it was a kickoff party, but it was for this fundraiser. And when we got asked by him, hey, you guys want to do the kickoff party? And I was like, well, yeah, sure, we'll do it. And we, we, we would say yes to anything. They're like, well, you guys are going to play at the Crystal Palace. We're like, no freaking way. Like, you're gonna allow, they're going to allow us in there? Like, a bunch of Chicanos playing ska and stuff? They're like, yeah, man, why not? I was like, okay, we'll go with it. But you're going to go after Buck Owens. And we were like, oh, shit. <laughs> it was odd, you know? So there we were. We, we did the whole thing. We, we felt like rock stars, you know, because we had finally done it. We were the only non-country band to be allowed to play play there at the time so it was a big milestone for us and for like yeah i guess the only all of the bakersfield music scene because after you saw mento buru if they let mento buru play at the crystal palace with buck owens then you know in the future we'll probably see some other bakersfield bands getting that opportunity which eventually would happen and yeah we did fat tuesday cinco de mayo uh tons of parties, all that stuff. So we've, we've had really good times and a good relationship with Buck Owens production since then. Yeah. Now it's like, kind of like a standard. It's like, what, what else are you going to do on Cinco de Mayo? What else are you going to do on Fab Tuesday, but go see Mental Burrow at the Crystal Palace. And that really is a marriage of like, you know, the, what, what Bakersfield was, was in the beginning and like what Bakersfield is now. And I, I think it's a, I think it's a great thing. I think it's a wonderful thing, man. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're blessed. We're blessed to, to be embraced by that and, you know, to be able to kind of cross over because, you know, Bakersfield has this reputation for being just such a, just nothing but country town. But I mean, you look at the history of the music, music and the art and the culture that has come out of Bakersfield from all parts from, my, you know, I'm an East Bakersfield resident. That's why we're kind of like waving the flag of, of East Bakersfield because, you know, Corn's from East Bakersfield. All those guys went to school in this area. And it's just like uh, they should be mentioned in the same breath as far as, you know, bringing positive attention to Bakersfield. You know, whether you like the music or not has nothing to do with it. It's the mm -hmm. fact that these guys from these young musicians from Bakersfield, you know, from the school system all met here. And, you know, they had to they had to take that chance out of town. But, you know, they're all I mean, Jonathan Davis owns Buck Owens Studio now. I mean, he works out of their corn, I think, owns it now or they might lease it or something. But they do all their pre-production 
over in Oildale at the Buck Owens uh, studio slash theater. Isn't that great? That's so yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, the, the whole, yeah, the, the biggest one, you know, I, I moved to Sacramento seven years ago and I absolutely love Sacramento. I, I, I love it. It's, it's very similar to like, there's parts of Sacramento where I swear I'm in Bakersfield or I swear I'm in Lamont or Arvin. Um, they have got a great, uh, farm to fork, uh, food community. They've got a great comedy scene, which I'm like really involved in nowadays, but I, I, I tell them over and over again, you cannot touch uh, Bakersfield's biscuits and gravy, and you cannot touch, <laughs> you cannot touch Bakersfield's music scene. Uh, our, our music scene here in Bakersfield is amazing, but they do have some great, amazing musicians in Bakersfield. Well, hey, well you know who's from Sacramento. Who's that? Cake. No? Yeah. Cake. I, Come I, on, I, man. Like, well, um, the has a lot of love for, for Bakersfield because uh, they sold out two nights at the Crystal Palace. They just decided they're going to play here. They recorded and, it, right? Uh, and they did it. Didn't they record that for a live album or like a live DVD? I, they may have. Yeah. But, you know, even before that, remember, do you remember Chaos Coffee House? Yes, yes. So uh, Chaos Coffee House, which is now Riley's Tavern, they played there. Um, Kate played there back in the day. Another, you know, years, years before they were signed. Another band they love in Sacramento is the Deftones. They oh oh yeah yeah they worship yeah. the Deftones. Uh, the Deftones is like their corn, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Central Valley, man. Central Valley. People forget that this when you mention the Central Valley, it's not this. We're in the Southern San Joaquin Valley, uh, and we're kind of at the tail end of the, what was considered the Central Valley. But the Central Valley goes way up north. Yeah. It goes all the way almost to the tip of the tip of the state. So you know. Deftones is a Central Valley band, just like Corn, and I know they've had a good relationship. And Deftones used to come over here to Bakersfield too. So, yeah, I mean, if you're kind of a if you're a Central Valley area band, you know, and you know, just ignore Southern California, Bakersfield between Bakersfield and the Bay, you know, we're kind of like these like kind of road dog brethren. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, up and down, up and down. Yeah, because you're used to having to travel to to in order to earn that respect, and then. Man, so many, so many times just driving to LA and driving to, um, not not just perform, but even to just to, even to just go to a decent concert, right? Like, how many nights did we have to like drive home at like three in the morning from a great show in LA, right? <laughs> oh well, I don't know. I don't know if we can talk about the uh, what was it? The we went to Santa Barbara when we had to go. It was the it was the three uh, eleven Cypress Hill Temples of Boom tour with 311 and Barside. Remember that? That was one of the most epic shows ever. That's when like I had I already liked the Far Side. I loved Cypress Hill and yeah. I was on the fence with 311. I remember you trying to sell me on 311 a lot and I was just like, eh, I don't know." Uh but that's the snob I am and I heard 311 just blew me away that night. The, well, all what of you your, what we went in, did you have a van? I went in a, a I, no, I had a white blazer. We yeah, went, <laughs> yeah, I remember we all went in there. <laughs> we went in the white. We went in the white blazer. It was me, you, Joe, and a fourth guy who just like we went to go pick him up, but I, like he had gotten arrested or something. I don't know. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was, um, yeah. Oh yeah, that, I remember that because I remember the car that we were gonna go in, or he was gonna go with us, but his car got impounded 
Oh, that's what it was. That plates right before we were jumping in the car, and he's like, "Sorry guys, they can't go." And we're like, "Well, just give us your ticket. We'll figure something out." <laughs> we're like, "We could use that for gas money," and I'm pretty sure we sold it for like thirty bucks. And, <laughs> but that was a, that was a, that was a cool show because that was when like Cypress Hill was beefing with Ice Cube. Remember? Yeah, yeah. That was a boom, and he was like, you know, everybody's saying "fuck Ice Cube, fuck Ice Cube" because it was like the thing with the Friday movie Friday. Mm-hmm. and throw your set in the air. Yeah. Oh man. That was yeah. what, what, one thing that I learned from you on that show is that we got there super early and you were like, let's see if we can get backstage. And I was like, we don't have passes. You're like, we don't need passes. We just got to find an unlocked door. <laughs> and we just like wandered all around, all around we could. And, and after that, I started doing that at every show I would go to. I would get there super early and I would look for tour buses. And because of that, one time, at a Beastie Boys Cal State Dominguez Hills show, I got there super early. I looked for unlocked doors. I looked for unshut gates. I looked for tour buses, and I made my way backstage. And there was this, there was these, this, uh, this chain link fence had been set up. Yeah. You could tell it was temporary, and it had been like they had like a tarp over it, so you couldn't see. I went up to the chain link fence. I, I, I pulled the tarp open like that, and and for ten minutes. I watched uh, the Beastie Boys play basketball with their road crew. Yeah. And, and I just, and then fi- a security guard finally saw me and started to walk over towards me and I just walked away and he left me alone. But yeah, like yeah. one of the coolest experiences I ever had. Um, yeah. That, yeah. You, you know what, when you, when you see an opportunity, you just got to take it. Cause you know, you know, unless, unless you got some mental issues, you know, they'll still be able to spot it, but like, you know, but, you know, security now when you go to concerts a lot tighter because of a lot of stuff that's happened, you know, since, you know, post 9-11 and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But back in those days, yeah, yeah, it was just like you could just show up and you could, you, you if you would have hung out, if they would have saw you, you could probably just could have gone up and, start, and started playing basketball with them and they wouldn't care. No, exactly. Because they're just doing their thing, you know, and, yeah. and the, the, so, so many great so many great stories um we could talk about that for hours but we don't know that's a whole other show yeah it's a whole other, <laughs> that's like a whole series it's like a whole podcast series i know um, i want to move on and talk about the christmas album but i want to yeah. get to i want to i want to like get to the christmas album kind of by starting but like what was it like in march because mental guru by you know we're now in, in 2020 Mental Buru had been together their 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 twenty nine twenty eight years whatever the controversy yeah. is. Uh, <laughs> you were used to playing every weekend. Like you guys probably hit, you guys were probably gigging like Thursday all the way through Sunday. Um, yeah. What was it like to suddenly just have that taken away from you? But not only uh, just to have that taken away from you, because I know like a lot of us, and I, I know like me, like my my. Uh, at that point I had been doing comedy about 18 months in Sacramento. I was starting to get shows like every weekend. I was about to do my first set in San Francisco. I was about to get to do a show at the San Francisco punchline. And I was just like on cloud nine. So it was very easy to be like, darn it. Look what they took from me. But at the same time, be sobered up by looking around the world and seeing like oh shit look what's happening in the world right so what was what was that like for you for you at that point to have that taken away and then the the sobriety of like oh shit this is this is bad this is bad yeah oh man well it it was it was devastating and that's just putting it lightly 
but um, our last show, big show, was that Fat Tuesday show for Mardi Gras, uh, February 27th, I believe. And then after that, we were looking at the schedule. You know, you start hearing the orders. And, you know, they start asking people to start wearing masks. So it all started with, like, well, we recommend wearing the mask if you're going to go out. And we're like, okay, all right. And then, bam, things started to heat up. So by the time you got to St. Patrick's Day, right before St. Patrick's Day, yeah. March 17th, that was it. It was over. You know, like, we're shutting this down. There's no way. And then that's when you started seeing all the, all the, the cases climb. And yeah. then they've been... Then the infighting started to happen and doing all that. Meanwhile, we're starting to like, well, what are we supposed to do about work? What are we doing? Everybody's looking at their own personal lives. And then we started to look at the band because, yeah, the band was busy, but I have seven band members, including myself, that we all have our own lives to think about and what are we going to do? So most of the guys had uh, nine to five jobs, you know, indoor, outdoor jobs. Some of the guys were full-time musicians. So if they weren't performing full time, you know, at any given night, you know, for, you know, whatever the wages are, and they relied on that, they were giving um, lessons like at Nick Rail Music or one of the, one of the college campuses. All of a sudden that started getting taken away. Then they're like, well, we, we saved a little bit and nobody was really stressing about it too much. They were looking at the calendars, but as we start getting into the middle of April, our next big show is, you know, St. Patrick's Day was already taken off. We started getting closer to May. We're scheduled to do our big Cinco de Mayo show at Crystal Palace. I keep in contact with Jerry Hufford over there, who's the manager of the place, and his, him, he and his wife run it. He's like, um, I'll keep you posted. And that was it. And it was, it's always been, I'll keep you posted. So we're keeping track of the news. And then finally was like, no, we can't do it. But I tell you what, he goes, and he assured me, and I, and I trust Jerry on this, was I would say, we're going to do this show. We'll just do it another time. And it'll be like, just just a regular show it doesn't even it'll be like the single to makeup show but we just started joking about that because we thought hey you know maybe by maybe by june this will be all done you know because yeah. we had Beto Buru, Valorio, uh, Mariachi San Marcos de Bakersfield and then uh, Ballet Folklorico Escuelas Unidos so we had we we have this full-on show of folklore music mariachi to the cumbias and the Latin ska and everything like that so we we thought well, we'll eventually We'll eventually get to it. Then Crystal Palace shuts down. Then venue starts shutting down. Sandrini's, boom, 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 boom. I'm checking in with the guys. How are you guys doing? Some people like Paul Perez were like OG musicians. They were barely, they only got as far as using email and text messaging, you know. Now all of a sudden, everybody had to start thinking about how we're going to do lessons because the store started closing down. So like, we're going to do these lessons where everybody's going to have to learn how to do this virtually. And you just saw like, it's everybody's stressing out, man. The older musicians are, what the hell are we going to do, man? I don't know how to do none of this Zoom shit. I don't know. You know, F this, F that, F the governor. You know, let's do a recall. Let's, you know what, let's do a recall. So while they're all worried about that stuff, people are like scrambling, trying to figure out how, what they're going to do. And like you said, it wasn't just about you. You start thinking about everybody that's being affected. So all the businesses, but as far as the musicians, Everybody had to rethink what they were going to do. So myself, I'm a freelance writer, so I already had a backup plan, and I had some money saved in my 401k, and checking in with the guys. Dennis was already giving lessons online. Cesario started doing drum lessons online, and Paul started doing drum lessons online. 
Uh, Caleb, our bass player, was a delivery driver for a local laundry service. So he had to just, he was kept on working. Clients started coming down. Uh, Sal, the window or guitar player, is a construction worker with his pop. He was out there and they were just going. You know, construction and all that stuff, uh, uh, trade businesses, none of them were affected. I mean, unless you were like in the oil fields and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, most of the local trades, like, you know, um, electrical work, construction, all that stuff, uh, just kept on business as usual. You know, guys like that are related to the band Dale, Big D Ridenauer, who's on our second CD, Dale. He's like, I've, I've never stopped working. You know, he works in electrical. And yeah. he's just like, it's just a, I, I just go to work every day. Um, but yeah, the Mento, it was, the Mento had to pull the brakes. The Mento blew brakes for the first time in, you know, in 28 years. There was no uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday afternoon day fades. There was no weddings. There was no quinceaneras. There was no uh, private parties. There was no community shows. There was no marketplace concerts. There was none of that. It was all gone. Shows that we had booked on the coast, up north, down south, all gone. You know, lot, lots of sad couples that had to, uh, uh, had oh, to postpone the, the their weddings. Yeah. 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 That was, that was gone, man. You know, and everybody associated, uh, Eric Madera from Central Sound and Lighting, you know, his father owned the dome and he, he sold the dome and they, you know, they tore it down. You know, they built the, now it's the location of another ice detention center. Uh, the, the dome has, has been wiped off the, wiped off the map. But uh, Eric Madera, uh, you know, his, his sound business got affected too. Uh-huh. So he was one of the first people to jump into the whole live streaming. Let's, let's try this live streaming thing, you know. And everybody just had to kind of figure out where we're going to go. And then the next thing you know, we're in July, we're in August, we're in September. Village Fest gets canceled. And that was the big one. That was the big one. It was like, if Village Fest and the Kern County Fair get canceled, we're really screwed. The community's screwed the income, everybody that's, uh, that benefits from that, from those huge events, it's done. Yeah. And that, and here we are end of the year, end of the year, end of the year. But yeah. do, do you right now kind of see a light at the end of the tunnel? Cause I, I am very, very optimistic right now. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I kind of see that. I, I almost feel that we're going to have a halfway normal spring and summer, uh, summer more. So how, how are you feeling about that? Oh, that's all we can do is be optimistic. You know, that's all we got left, you know, is to be safe. Um, you know, everybody just think positive and, and look out for one another. And, you know, follow, follow the rules, follow the laws. And, you know, if you don't, you know, just get your politics out of it and just realize that we have to work together on this or this is never going to end. You know, the thing that we did on night before Thanksgiving, we went into it just kind of like feeling like maybe we shouldn't do this. But Manuel and us, you know, we had to start thinking about people who are going to be affected, employees, and then my guys as well. So the guys are looking to me for leadership to make this decision, but we really had to think about it and make the decision democratically. Like, you guys want to do it? If we're not, if everybody's not into it, we're not going to do it. So we, we went into it together, knowing good and well, there might be some consequences, you know, but we kept our distance. You know, we had the mask and we did all this stuff. Me as a vocalist, you know, I, I can't wear a mask because yeah. I have to sing. So, you know, that's that's what it is. And horn players, you know, we're blowing our horns. We're blowing, you know, whatever into the particulates into the air. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, I check in with everybody regularly and I leave it up to the to the kids. We're, we're adults. We're responsible for our, ourselves, but we don't want to endanger 
uh, other people because many of us have kids and families. we got to go back and be around them as well. Yeah. Um, at what point did this East Side Christmas uh, album project start to take place? And how, how did that all snowball? I, I, would see your, I would see your post that you were in the studio. I never expected a Christmas album. And, and then, then when I realized it, it's, it, it's, are they recording a Christmas song? Is it like, what, how, how did this all happen? And what, mm-hmm. at what point in the year did, it come, did this project come together? Well, you know, as we were uh, not active at all uh, and we were getting anxious of what we were going to do, we started doing some small projects, uh, studio projects that have been put on hold. We kind of started revisiting those things. Uh, one of the things was the Bakersfield College fight song that we, that you know, you know that song, okay, that we played a gazillion times. And the lyrics were, it's fight, fight, fight in the parking lot. Oh, yeah, we used to change it. We used to change it to something nasty. Yeah, yeah, we used to change it to something bad. So one of the things that we had done, like, actually, like, a year and a half before with the commercial music department, which was a new department that they started through the music department uh, at Bakersfield College, was they had the sound engineering program. So I talked to the guy who had started the program. I said, hey, we really want to do, we want to do the fight song. What do you about, think about doing a project with the students? And he's like, oh, yeah, let, yeah, man, let's do it. So I talked to the guys and always, they always, the guys, when we have these meetings and I come up, come up to them with some plans, I always have to look at the re- reactions on their face. Like, oh shit, Matt, Matt wants to do something, some other weird thing. But I was like, listen, man, you guys got to trust me on this. Let's take the fight song and let's change that arrangement. We'll get all the music, which we were able to get from a Josh out of who was the director. He found it in the archive. The, he found the arrangement for an entire marching band. So you had every single part. So I got like the, I printed it out. It was about that thick of every single part for an entire marching orchestra. And I gave it to Paul. I said, Paul, we're going to do this fight song in a ska, traditional ska, swing ska, and a ska punk style. Uh, he's like, okay, man, you know, Paul's this real laid back guy. He's a jazz guy. Yeah. I said, I need, you to, I need you to go through here, all these arrangements, and find out which for a three-part horn section uh three pieces what three parts will we use so it's right so he says okay we're going to do this part we're going to do this part this part because you're not just going to have three leads you want it to sound as good and you know as as technically correct as you could so it sounds good so we went and did it we did it with the student engineers it came out awesome fast forward to this year the we were never able to release it because it was still owned by the school they own the publishing and so they just tucked it away we mixed it ourselves and we weren't, we weren't very happy with the, with the mix, but we're like, well, it ever, if it ever sees the light of day, you know, we'll, we'll get there. So when we revisited, we, I reached out to the foundation. I said, hey, do you, ever, you think we can get permission to remix the song? We'll do it on our own dime and, and we'll see what happens. They're like, okay, sure. So we got it remixed by this guy by the name of John Graber, who is the, um, he was an old Moonscott guy from New York City, and we were actually recommended him re- recommended to him by Sammy K, who you had on your show. Yeah, yeah, so, nice. So yeah, yeah, super nice guy. So he goes back with all the old '90s ska punk stuff too. So he goes, "You guys want to do something? You want to do anything mixed?" Uh, John Graber in Los Angeles is your guy. So because he had just 
uh, he works with Goldfinger and MXPX and the Slackers and all those. So we sent the stuff over to him. He gave those old uh, Renegade fight song tracks that we had done and mixed ourselves new life. It just opened him up. It sounded like like Scott, like like Mental Brew meets No Effects. It sounded so cool. So we're like, okay, spark. I sparked some kind of like newfound energy in the band. Uh, Bakers will call and says, well, we'll we'll discuss if you guys can release it down down the line. So we got it mixed, we got it mastered from a, a guy in uh, in Nashville on the recommendation of John Graber. Recordings are awesome. We tucked them away. Okay, next was. Um, the Saborami message to you, Rudy, Latin recordings that we had done. Uh, we got the we got the original files, uh, sound um, Pro Tools files from Jason Grooms, our original bass player who recorded that those sessions for us, and we had them dubbed, dubbed reggae dubbed by a guy named by the name of Brian Wallace in Los Angeles, who's a member of the Western Standard Time Ska Orchestra. He was also in Mobtown, the bad Mobtown back in the day as well. So we got those, they sound cool. Bands all boosted. All right, let's do some more studio stuff. All right, what are we gonna do? We had already had about four songs that, that were in progress for the studio for a new Mentubu album that we had, it was going to be titled Alta Vista. And that was, this was pre-COVID. We were gonna like, Mentubu is back. We're gonna come out with something new. People are waiting for this. Shut it down. We like, you know, nothing's happening. So we did, we, we did those remix projects because we didn't have to go into the studio. All we had to do was just send them off to somebody. Yeah. Um, so right before we came up with the Christmas idea, I, I hunted down all the compilation singles that we had done since the 90s. The uh, Cultivation 92 here in Bakersfield, the Cultivation 94, the Scothentic compilation. Um, and uh, this French compilation that we had done. So I got all those tracks. We had them remastered. We released it as the Scarage Days Revisited 92-96. Okay, put that away. So we got three projects on down on the tube. Like one, it was towards the end of summer. It was about the end of September. So we're hanging out with my wife outside. I said, we need to do something. And so having some drinks, we think about a Christmas album. She's like, yeah, I think that would be a really good idea. And it was as easy as that. I sent a mess text message to the guys. Everybody was on board. What songs? Then I had to go and start digging it up. But then at the same time, I'm thinking, how are we going to pay for this? We have no band fund. We've already spent the money on the remix projects and the mastering stuff for the other stuff. We don't know what to do. Um, we don't know what we're going to call it, how long it could be, how much is it going to cost. So then I kind of had to go into band leader budgeting mode. and my wife, uh, oh, God bless her, said, uh, there's a, why don't you think about applying for a grant for uh, a nonprofit grant for that'll benefit artists. And so the hub of Bakersfield, which is local nonprofit, uh, under the direction of uh, Ward 2 Councilman um, Andre Gonzalez, and Ward 2 is right here in East Bakersfield. They have a thing called Cash for the Arts. So every, every quarter they have a uh, a certain amount of money allotted for local artists to do a project. So artists got to put their uh, their proposal writing skills on, hat on. I wrote out a proposal that said we want to do an album called uh, East Bakersfield Christmas. And my wife helped me out with the title. And, you know, she gave us the title and let's, let's pick up the songs. And I put all the proposal together. We still hadn't had the studio time booked or anything like that. 
but I'm going to put together a dream timeline. End of December, we're going to enter on October the 20th. I'm sorry, we're going to enter on October 27th for a release date. Studio, mixing, mastering, set off to distribution, release date the night before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Eve was, was our project date. So, got all the songs together. We did uh, four rehearsals of pre production in between. Uh, doing scratch rehearsal uh, recordings to give to Paul Perez, who was assigned to do the horn arrangements. And we were, this time we were going to bring in an extra horn, a horn player. We wanted to have a trumpet as well, because we wanted Christmas music has to have that really high end, you know. So it was all, when we did the research for all the songs, Don't This Stop Santa Claus, which is a song, you know, by originally done from 1958 by Augie Rios, who was a Puerto Rican. Uh, actor entertainer, he was a child star that kind of had a really brief career. And he did that novelty tune, Don't Miss Santa Claus, which a lot of people know were introduced because of the beginning of Santa Claus and His Old Lady by Cheech and Chong. So we got that song. It's, it was originally written like a cha-cha-cha in 58. We're gonna do it, Scott. Okay, it worked. Check off. Next song, we're gonna do Jingle Bell Rock. We're gonna Scott up. It worked. Everybody's out, that's gonna work. Number three, we're gonna do uh, Green Sleeves, uh, the Green Sleeves theme, which is basically the music to What Child Is This? It's an English folk song from uh, the 1500s. We're gonna do a reggae. It worked, okay? And that one was a little bit more difficult because you had to think about the voicings for all the songs uh, and make sure that the keys are gonna be right. And when read, as, even as we're getting into it, Paul's all, he's all, damn it, man, like, you don't understand how complicated Christmas music can be. You think it's you think it's just easy to write. Uh, you think this stuff is easy to solo to. They're not it wasn't it wasn't meant to be written as jams, jam tunes, you know, these are written as pop tunes to be going on the radio and all that stuff. So between Jay Smith, our keyboard player, and Paul, they really went to town to break these songs down, what keys were gonna work, what He's, I would be able to sing these songs in, because then you get to Feliz Navidad, which is just a repetitive song, and how are we gonna make Feliz Navidad catchy? So one reviewer calls it, calls it the perennial earworm, because you, you hear Feliz Navidad once, it sticks with you for the rest of your life, and it pretty much has for all of us. And by the time we got to uh, Christmas song, Chestnuts Roasting on Open Fire, we knew that we had the right batch of five songs. We did, with the additional sixth song, which is the all Spanish lyrics of Donde Esta Santa Claus, which I had to track down. It had been redone by this Mexican comedian by the name of Chabelo in the 70s. He's, he's just kind of like a, a guy, he's really short. He might, he's not necessarily a dwarf, but he does his comedy like in a kid's voice. And he would be on like a lot of those Mexican variety shows. And so yeah, we, we we just had to push it together. The, the guys had to band together and we had to do all the pre-production and we did it out of my garage here at our house. And we argued, <laughs> we argued and dealing with personal lives and all that stuff. We we're like, listen, you guys, if we're gonna do this, we have to be a hundred percent together. So we, everything was smooth sailing until one day, which I was looking at the calendar and I was like, we really gotta get serious about this guys. It may, you may think it's, it's just going to be a fun thing to do, but I guarantee it's going to be worth it if we do it. And so we had to put forth that PR machine, getting everybody excited about it. 
make sure that the hub of Bakersfield, before they, you know, we have to ask them, hey, when are you guys going to cut the check for us? Because we we got the studio time all worked out. Parisi McGriff at Triple Seven Studios gave us this week. He's all, you have this week to work with. You tell me what can happen. So Justin, our trombone player, his wife is a, is a lawyer. They live in um, Santa Paula now. But he at the time, he was moving from Oxnard to Santa Paula. So they were doing moving. We didn't see him through the whole pre-production process. Paul was writing up charts, and I was taking pictures of him and just sending them to him. So oh by the time gosh. he came to the studio <laughs> sessions, he was ready to go. But the thing with Justin Kirk is Justin Kirk, and uh, I know you said it was, it was weird not hearing Joe on the, on the things like, Justin and Joe got to know each other very briefly before Joe passed away. And, you know, if we couldn't have Joe, it was either we were going to have Justin or no trombone player at all. Justin got what we were all about, and we've been blessed to, to cross paths with Justin. You know, God, I, the way I say, you know, God put him right there for us to keep the band going strong, and, uh, and he just stepped into, uh, into those, that trombone role for Mento Buru, and, and we've been tied ever since. But, yeah, having Justin in the studio was amazing because Justin, for years, had toured with Al McKay from uh, – the guitar player from Earth, Wind, and Fire, the guy who wrote September, and I mean, not September, but a lot of those hits for Earth, Wind, and Fire, he was the original guitar player, Al McKay, All-Stars, they would tour playing Earth, Wind, and Fire hits, and okay. Justin was in that band. Yeah, those are some sick horn lines. This, this album yeah. is so good. Um, <laughs> Green, Green Yeah, it, it, really, it really was like something huge, and we really pushed it together. So, I mean, it was just like this. And when we find, when we sent off the mixes off to John Graver, and then we had them mastered by Dave Forey from here in Bakersfield. He's originally a Delano guy uh, who had worked with like In Too Deep and a lot of those hip hop artists. Um, he he mastered it for us, and he knew that we were on a shoestring budget, and we just needed some help because we were giving it away for free. If we're doing it through a nonprofit. We, we wanted to, like any money that was going to be spent, everybody was, you know, we're not going to make any money off this. Mm-hmm. Let's do something that we can cheer up the community with because everybody's locked down and this is the end of the year. People are looking for something to kind of hold on to and bring a smile. And we missed all our fans. So, you know, music has a very healing power to it, you know. It does. And whether you might be, don't like Christmas music, do or you don't, um, we thought that this was the best way to kind of like give something back to the community at the same time and offer them something to smile about with their families. Cause we're all, we're all family guys now. We're all dads, you know, <laughs> we're Scott dads. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's, it's who we are, man. Green sleeves is absolutely my favorite track on the album. Um, I, Jay, Jay, all the solos are great. The horn arrangements are so intricate, complicated, but at the same time, just so melodic, you know, um, you sometimes you hear some arrangements that are so complicated that they like trip up the listener, you know, Yeah. Um, that they're really, they're, they're like, they're, they're arrangements that only like a jazz person would appreciate. Right. But these arrangements just, they just flow, man. Like, like, like an Eminem rhyme that are just like, whoa, did they just do that? You know? Uh, but yeah. Green Sleeves is my absolute favorite. And yeah, it, it, um, I hope I can talk about Joe without fucking choking up, but um, I don't know if you've ever, I, you, you gave me permission a long time ago to use Mental Brewer's music 
on my yeah. podcast and on the live productions of telenovela shows. And I have now gotten into the tradition of like, I end every show, every, every, every comic talk podcast, um, it fades, it fades in to uh, Joe's solo on Move It Girl. Yeah. And so that's always <laughs> the last thing I hear every, every Sunday night when I'm done recording and I, and I re-listen to it to make sure that I didn't do something stupid. <laughs> You know, yeah. but the, oh, man. yeah a lot of so many great memories attached to those songs and that whole thing like you were there you know and we've lost so many friends since those i mean steve we lost steve Meller, who you went to school with yeah and you know steve played with the band um you know you were there when we were doing uh when we were doing disapproved we were doing those horn lines for those uh those original horn lines for those songs before they even became songs yeah and so uh and then we lost scott thompson who you also knew <sighs> So we've yeah, lost you know, the, so, many, the, so many friends. The, the, and those guys, like Steve Mettler, Scott Thompson, Joe Vasquez, guys that I absolutely admired as a musician and who always made me feel that I deserved to be sitting next to them as musicians. Because, like, I always had this little, like, I was always like, uh, I'm good, but I'm not that good, you know? And I'll never forget that, uh, you know, Scott always encouraged me. Joe always encouraged me. And I always wanted Steve Mettler's approval too, because he was my first, you know, sax god that I saw at Arvin yeah. High. And I'll never forget one time when uh, Steve Mettler caught me somewhere and we were talking and he told me, he's like, dude, you were okay in high school, but in college you got good. And I was like, that's all, that's all the validation I need, man. Steve <laughs> Mettler told yeah. me that I was okay yeah. and now I'm good. So, but yeah, we lost Steve, we lost Scott, we lost my brother Joe, and uh, that that they all hurt. They all hurt. Yeah. But, the, but Joe, it's still like, I I still feel him next to me a lot. You know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we shared a lot of crazy shit, but we shared a lot of good stuff. And yeah, they, yeah. they were all good memories. And I I really thought it was gonna hurt to hear somebody else. Um, it's kind of like when when uh. When Clarence Clemens's nephew <laughs> went into the into the E Street band, yeah, and I was like, I don't want to hear somebody else playing these solos, but okay, these are good. And like you said, this guy has earned that spot in that in that horn line. It yeah. wasn't just somebody who answered a help wanted ad, you know, yeah. and uh, and said, oh well, I'll do it for this. But you know, he he definitely yeah. earned it. But your your whole band is like is like family to me. Um, watched them over the years played at my 30th 40th birthday party yeah <laughs> and uh it's oh, yeah, we've, been, yeah, we've it's, had we've, we've been we've had such a great time man and you've been there and yeah and, it, you, and you're a brother yeah and i think it's gonna keep going i think it's only gonna get stronger and um as a fan and like just where i'm at now um i i want some mental burrow on vinyl man like <laughs> Yeah, you think that? Well, was the, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we trust. Trust me. Well, the the plan was for the Alta Vista album, which, by the way, getting back to a little bit of Joe, was that the songs, some of the songs on the record, were ideas that uh, either Joe had started on his own and was and was emailing to me in MIDI form, or so, these were songs that we had gone back to the way we had uh, co-written uh, uh, Move a Girl and, and all those songs because it was like, I would sing the songs to Joe and Joe would write out. Joe knew the theory. Joe was a genius at music theory. He could transcribe any song he heard or as you wrote it, he would make everything 
theoretically correct, musically correct. So any part. So he knew keys. He could. He had the ear. He would tell you what to do. Boom, boom, boom. And so the song Matame, which was the first song that we completed, that was a that was a collaboration between Joe and I, and it was the first song I had written with all Spanish lyrics. And we were looking forward to releasing that. And the Alta Vista record was going to be like our next full length, also to be released on vinyl. We had everything all lined up to do that, and oh. then. And then it was gone, <laughs> but it's it's still gonna happen. And then also, the we're we are going to do another half of the Christmas album. This mm-hmm. is just as an EP, but we're gonna do we're planning on doing a full, you know, eleven, twelve songs, uh, for East Bakersfield Christmas and for a complete. And then yeah. press the final. When uh when I when I had when I when I talked with Sammy K of uh Sammy and Beth of Revolution Vintage, uh, on the podcast, I I had a post-it note with uh the my bakersfield wish list of what i would love to see on vinyl and uh on it was like uh i would love to see uh gramercy riffs uh i can't remember the name of the album but gramercy riff had a great album that they produced and put out in like 2002 and i i said that you need to uh put out a live mental brew album because i i I really felt that like live is where you guys i mean even though you guys shine in the studio but like Anybody who's a Mental Guru fan, it's that it's that live Mental Guru experience that is really hard yeah. to, to capture and to 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 do justice on, on a on a studio record. But yeah, it's like um, Fishbone, like Fishbone and Scatolites and any of those bands, those really high energy bands. You know, you go watch them live, and then you know you just want it to sound like that on the record, and it's 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 two different experiences, you know. Yeah, it doesn't jump off. I mean, there, there's some great live albums like uh, The Untouchables, uh, Decadive Dance Live. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like An that, essential, essential record. Yeah, that jumps off. Uh, that jumps off the platter. But, Matt, man, Matt, um, I can't thank you enough for um, uh, just the – I mean, I won't thank you for the friendship because that's that's what we are now, right? Like like you said, it. like we're, we're brothers. We, we've been through yeah. this. But, like – um, for allowing me to use Mental Brewer's music on the podcast, and yeah. and uh, so, so many people in Sacramento like know you guys now, like uh, they they know the begin that that those opening riffs of La Murga, and uh, um, I I always uh, uh, send links to everybody when they ask about it, and uh, constantly uh, we we constantly uh, promote each other, and I think that that's that's what makes the Bakersfield sound so great is that it really is a brotherhood. Yeah. And, um, uh, good good luck with everything um I, i'm hoping that this work from home thing keeps up because i was able to come home for a whole month for christmas and that's i i never would have been able to do that um if i wasn't working from home so hopefully if i keep working from home i'll be home like during uh i want to come home again for easter and spend a couple of months yeah. hopefully you guys will be gigging uh, uh a little bit more regularly by then so i hope i hope <laughs> Everybody do what you got to do. Just everybody, please be safe. You know, especially right now in the holidays, there's going to be a lot of Christmas gatherings and all that stuff. But that's why we made the album. That's why we made East Bakersfield Christmas free for everybody. Or if you want to stream it, it's available through the for free download or listen at the hub of Bakersfield.org. Or you can now stream it on Spotify, uh, Apple Music. It's on TikTok, <laughs> uh, Amazon Music. It'll be, you know, it'll be on all the other streaming platforms, Pandora and all that stuff real soon. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a gift for everybody. It's like, well, if you're going to be at home and you don't want to hear the Mariah Carey Christmas uh, songs, 
album for a 15th million time, which by the way is that to me, the uh, the Mar Mariah Christmas song, Christmas <laughs> Mariah Chris Crispy song, the Mariah Christmas song that gets kind of played to death around this time that everybody memes about. That to me is by far the best new Christmas, original Christmas song that has been written since, you know, I don't know, since Mel Torme wrote uh, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. I mean, it is truly, if you can write a Christmas song, an original Christmas song now, that becomes part of the kind of like the, the immortal play playlist of Christmas classics, mm -hmm. you're a genius. You know, yeah, you can write pop music. But you know, Chris, Christmas music is very polarizing. You either can't wait for it or you can't stand it. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of the above. Yeah, it's it's either or. Yeah. It's, it's either or definitely. What about yeah. um, one more? Is No Doubts Oi for the World? Is that a cover or is that an original? Oh, that's a cover of the Vandals. Yeah, Oi to the World. Uh, With the, so the No Doubt version is superior. <laughs> 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 I, I I like it better. I love I love the Vandals. I love the Vandals, but that was on one of those uh, very special Christmas. I think two or three uh -huh. you know but no it's 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 that's a fantastic version you know that yeah. no doubt no doubt of old you know that we all uh grew grew up loving and inspired it you know all that third wave third wave scene even though they technically weren't a ska band they were you know they they fell in line with everything else that was going on at the time you know they were inspired by the same bands we were uh, Fishbone and Untouchables and all that stuff. And the first time I saw No Doubt was their first big show out of Orange County, and they opened up for the Untouchables uh, at the John Anson Ford Theater for the Agent Double O Soul tour. So I was going. I mean, that, that's when we were in the marching band, and I was bringing all those cassettes back, you know, and say, "You guys got to hear this, man." You guys that was my introduction. My introduction to ska was a cassette you gave me. That had like the Untouchables, Fishbone, uh, Oingo Boingo. Yeah. Had had all that stuff on it. Uh, it had uh, Let's Go Bowling. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, I compilations that you could get, you know. And yeah, you just... I I played that thing till it fell apart. But that was yeah. my introduction to ska, and uh, I love it. And um, but yeah, we're, we're, we we got to wrap this up. We're, we're just <laughs> going. <laughs> hey man, baby. Hey, I'm at home. I'm just chilling here. Uh, if, you got, if you ever want to have me on for talk about something else, well, you know who should have on is you should have on Cesario. I, Cesario is, what, once I, once I uh, had you on, I was like, well, first of all, it's still too early to have Cesario on. <laughs> yeah, you are correct. See, that's how, that's how you know we're brothers here. Yeah, it's still, too early, it's still too early to have Cesario on. But I definitely want to talk to Cesario. I thought about this morning, I thought about sending Cesario a link and having him join us about 30 yeah. minutes in just to surprise Oh, you. dude, we'd be on for five hours. <laughs> we'd, be, we'd be on here for five hours, man, because we'd, be, we'd start laughing and bringing up story, which was attached to another story, and then it just goes on and on and on. But okay, I'll tell one Cesario story. Okay. Um, I was a senior at Arvin High. Uh, my my buddy JJ, who I might go see later on today, still lives out here in the country. He comes up to me and he's like, "Hey, there's this fucking sophomore who can play Tom Sawyer on the drums." And I was like, "No way!" And he's like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Let's hear it." And he's like, "All right, well, we got to sneak into the auditorium. It was lunch hour during the auditorium. Lunch hour, we sneak into the auditorium. It's somebody else's uh, drum set, not Cesario's." And uh, JJ has to hold the hi hat. JJ has to hold the symbol so that Cesario could do the. T -t 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 -t. Yeah. 
And then he's like, all right, do it. And Cesaro's like, and he's like, and I'm just sitting there in awe. He's playing Tom Sawyer. He's a sophomore playing Tom Sawyer. JJ's holding the symbol so that Cesaro, and then Mr. Johnson walks in. He's like, Cesaro, how many times have I told you? And oh, yeah. And yeah. we, get, we get run out of the auditorium. That's when I met Cesario. Was uh, yeah. watching. I can uh, think back to the, the, the time when we first met him, uh, and he joined the band. He had, he was just out of high school, and he was still you know he was still dressing like uh, like paisley shirts and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> you know he was he was he was like, and that was like at the time of the paper house. Like I didn't even know him because I was I met him through Joe. Joe was pretty much kind of like the seed that like kind of sprouted the, the whole seed up to us. He grew up, it was, through, it was through Joe and you. And then it was just like, I remember we, that's how we started slowly meeting everybody because the formation of Paper House, Jason Grooms was there, Cesario. And like Cesario always says, yeah, we just kind of, we, when we formed Mental Guru, we just kind of cannibalized and formed Mental Guru with the uh, yeah, he was guys from other bands. He was in Paper Right, he was in Paper House first. And then, yeah. Yeah. He was, the, he was the drummer for Paper House. And then uh, they had a big falling out. And then, yeah, there's some funny stories. We always we always talk about all that stuff because when Cesario joined Mento, uh, he was the one who brought Jason over. And so oh. Jason came over and then Paper House was pretty much became, oh, because then we had Mike Brown. <laughs> Mike Brown on keyboards. Who was I also remember that Mike Brown played with you guys a couple of times, yeah. Yeah, and he played trumpet. Yeah, My, uh, Paper House, Once Upon a Shady Lane. Yeah, Once Upon a remember? The infamous uh, Jesse a, uh, was, cassette. Yeah, my, my, Mike Brown walks in and he's like, I'm selling these cassettes. How much is it? Five bucks. How many songs? Five. Hey, that's a buck a song. <laughs> that shit's only going to be funny to us because we were there at that time. We were in the band room at Bakersfield College. Yeah. And, yeah. and that happened. But, oh, man. Yeah, that was, that, those are some hilarious times. And, uh, yeah, I, mean, I never knew what happened to Mike Brown. But uh, Mike, uh, Joe ended up dating... Uh, Mike's ex-wife. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she was around. She was around there, right? I mean, she was with Joe right before he passed away. Oh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, hey, man, we, we got such a, we've had the blessed with such an amazing life so far. And, uh-huh. you know, with man, but all our friendships and everything have continued to stick around all these years. So, yeah, I mean, I think everybody just needs to take a break right now and just be thankful for what you got. And definitely, you know, I think for you, brother. Yeah, no, thankful for you too, man. And uh, I'll catch you on the rebound, and I'm sure I'll see you soon, man. Uh, thanks for everything. I'll, I'll post links for you, so uh, don't, don't try to rattle off all the links, but I'll post all the links for you. Um, I'll wait for you. Yeah, and uh, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you soon, man. Okay, brother. All right, take, take care.